Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the episode for the assignment of November 2nd through 8th, Mormon 7 through 9, I Speak Unto You As If You Were Present. And this week, Mormon passes away and his son Moroni kind of takes up the torch and starts writing in his place. And I'm so excited because Moroni is literally one of my favorite scriptural writers um, of all the, you know, canonized works that we have. I love Isaiah. Um, I don't really understand him quite as well as I understand Moroni, but Moroni just has a way of writing that is so beautiful, and which is so funny because in so many places, in fact, it happened in three different spots in this week's assigned reading, I counted. Um, he talks about, you know, don't judge me for not writing well, and don't judge any flaws in my writing, and please don't judge the writing according to my flaws, and he says stuff like that multiple times. But that's one of the reasons I love him, because he is so humble and he's so human. We see a lot of these um, prophets and these writers in the Book of Mormon that come across and they just seem almost like superhuman without any flaws. And um, it's kind of hard to personalize them and feel yourself like in their shoes. Whereas Moroni talks about feeling inadequate when it comes to writing. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, I can feel that Moroni. Like there's been lots of times in my life where I felt inadequate about stuff. But then the bonus of that is, as we go in and we see how God places his hands upon Moroni and his talents and magnifies them so that Moroni literally becomes one of my favorite writers in all of canonized works. Like his writing is beautiful and it's touching and it's soul stirring and it's also converting. You know, it's very much stuff that brings people unto Christ. You know, we quote all the time from Moroni 10 verse 4. That's the Book of Mormon promise. And when you shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. How many people have become converted because of those words that Moroni wrote? You know, and this is the same guy who literally in the space of two chapters apologizes three different times for his inability to, I guess, give the word of God the due justice that he thinks it deserves. You know, that's what makes him so relatable to me. So I really enjoyed these chapters this week. Well, and it sounds awful to say that I enjoyed them. Because Mormon dies, Moroni's left on his own, Um, there's all kinds of yuck stuff going on in society, so, you know, the story itself is not going good places. The narrative is not going good places. But I enjoyed it because I love Moroni and the way he writes. So, so let's jump right in then. Let's read the introduction. Mormon and Moroni knew what it felt like to be alone in a wicked world. For Moroni, the loneliness must have been especially severe after his father died in battle and the Nephites were destroyed. 
I even remain alone, he wrote. I have not friends nor whither to go. Things may have seemed hopeless, but Moroni found hope in his testimony of the Savior and his knowledge that the eternal purposes of the Lord shall roll on. And Moroni knew that a key role in those eternal purposes would be played by the Book of Mormon, the record he was now diligently compiling, and the record that would one day shine forth out of darkness and bring many people to the knowledge of Christ. Moroni's faith in these promises made it possible for him to declare to the future readers of this book, I speak unto you as if you were present, and I know that ye shall have my words. Now we do have his words, and the Lord's work is rolling forth in part because Mormon and Moroni stayed true to their mission even when they were alone. Okay, so I want to kind of go off a little bit on a side trail here. One of the things that I looked for in this past conference was, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, if you're doing the right thing, if you're making right choices, why do we have to go through such hard stuff? Um, recently I've been dealing with some stuff in therapy of things that happened in my early childhood and it impacted the rest of my life and my personality and just the way I interact with people. I look at my whole life that I've lived and I'm like, Heavenly Father, why did that have to happen? I could have lived an entirely different life. You know, why do, why do, and I was doing everything right. I'm doing everything good, but I still had to go through all these different trials that came from this one incident. So that's all going on in my mind. And then we get to conference and I felt like a lot of the talks in conference, there were, there were a couple of different themes that I picked up on, but there were several times where I felt like there were talks that were about, you know, good people go through bad stuff too, or, you know, the future is going to be hard, but we'll make it through. And, you know, having faith in Christ doesn't guarantee that hard stuff won't come. What it guarantees is that you will have Christ with you in the hard times. It's like, you know, um, in Harry Potter, sorry guys, my Harry Potter fans out there, um, there's the time where they're sitting in Professor Trelawney's class, like, and, they're, they're looking, it's fortune telling is the class that they're in. And they're looking at these like tea leaves and they're supposed to be telling their fortune. And Harry's got a really horrible fortune, but then there's also something that makes him like think that he's going to be happy. And Ron turns to Harry and he's like, so you're going to go through something really awful, but you're going to be happy about it. And I feel like that's kind of what conference was like is, you know, there's bad stuff ahead, but you'll be happy about it. So, um, all that to say, I was thinking about Mormon and Moroni as I was thinking about conference and the things I was looking for with the why do bad things happen to good people. And I found this conference talk from this past conference, Tested, Proved, and Polished by Henry B. Eyring. And I want to read you a little bit of it, okay? He says, God has the power to make our way easier. He fed manna to the children of Israel in their wandering in the promised land. The Lord in his mortal ministry healed the sick, raised the dead, and calmed the sea. After his resurrection, he opened the prison to them that were bound. Yet the prophet Joseph Smith, one of the greatest of his prophets, suffered in prison and was taught the lesson we all profit from and need in our recurring tests of faith. And if thou shouldst be cast into the pit or into the hands of murderers and the sentence of death passed upon thee, If thou be cast into the deep, if the billowing surge conspire against thee, if fierce winds become thy enemy, if the heavens gather blackness and all the elements combine to hedge up the way, above all, if the very jaws of hell shall gape open the mouth wide after thee, know thou, my son, 
that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. You might reasonably wonder why a loving and all-powerful God allows our mortal test to be so hard. It is because He knows that we must grow in spiritual cleanliness and stature to be able to live in His presence and families forever. To make that possible, Heavenly Father gave us a Savior and the power to choose for ourselves by faith to keep His commandments and to repent and so come unto Him. So I think about that when I think about Mormon and Moroni standing by themselves, and especially Moroni, who is literally by himself because his father has just died and passed away, and his people have been demolished. Um, You know, why did he have to go through that? And then as we go in and we start looking, especially in Mormon 8, there is a huge transition that happens in the middle of the chapter that I had never really like picked up on before. But you go in and you start reading the verses 1 through 12, and I'm not going to go through and read them all, but he's talking basically, you know, his father died, so I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to write the stuff that he commanded me to, and then I'm going to hide it up, and, you know, this is the time period that we're in. The Lamanites have hunted down all my people. Everyone's gone, and so he's giving us, like, a detailed account of, like, what's gone on, and there's no one left that knows the true God, and, you know, blah, 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 everything's really awful and horrible. Yes, yes, it is. It's awful. And then kind of that ends in 12, right? So he's going through this really awful stuff. His dad has died. I imagine, like, this This is in my mind. In the mind of Lexi, I feel like Moroni is writing this, like, in the weeks, maybe, after his dad has passed away. Um, very recently after his father has passed, and he's kind of having, like, you know, well-deserved pity party, I feel. You know, yes, he's been through some awful stuff, and he's just kind of like, this is all the awful stuff I've had to deal with. Um, there's therapy in that. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to continue with this this thought first. And so he, he writes all that down. I feel like then he kind of takes a break and, like, walks away maybe a year, maybe two years, I don't know, lets all that awful stuff kind of do some polishing on him. And he comes back and he picks up in 13. And he says, behold, I make an end of speaking concerning this people. I am the son of Mormon, and my father was a descendant of Nephi. And I am the same who hideth up this record unto the Lord. The plates thereof are no worth because of the commandment of the Lord." For he truly saith that no one shall have them to get gain, but the record thereof is of great worth, and whoso shall bring to it light, him will the Lord bless. For none can have power to bring it to light, save it be given to him of God. For God wills that it shall be done with an eye single to his glory, or the welfare of the ancient and long-dispersed covenant of the people of the Lord. And blessed be he that shall bring this thing to light, for it shall be brought out of the darkness unto light, according to the word of God. Yea, it shall be brought out of the earth, and it shall shine forth out of the darkness, and come unto the knowledge of the people. And it shall be done by the power of God. You know, do you see the difference between, like, everything is awful, this is terrible, this is what's going on, and just very, like, kind of, like, basic fact type stuff, to going on to this gorgeous language where he starts bearing testimony of God and of the ability of God to make changes. Like, I see a huge building of faith, 
I think, in Moroni in that point, where he's gone through this really rough stuff, and he's written it all out, and then he continues on. And as he goes on and he carries this burden of what he's been through, it refines him, and it it makes him a different person. And in this case, it drove him closer to God and closer to Christ and developed his testimony. And that's kind of the point that I got to after listening to conference. I'm like, yeah, my life could have totally taken a different direction, but my life could have totally taken a different direction. You know, the events that transpired in my life and the way that my life went led me to where I am today to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father and to become close to Him. And thank goodness for that. So would I take those trials back if I could, if I knew that it would end up on a path further away from my Father in Heaven? No, I I wouldn't take those back at all. Um, Because I love my relationship with my Heavenly Father that I have right now and the closeness that I feel to Him. So I think that there is good stuff. Scratch that. I think there's bad stuff that happens to good people. And a lot of times it's to bring us closer to our Father in Heaven. I also think that there's sometimes where bad stuff just happens to good people just because that's life. I don't think our Father in Heaven necessarily engineers stuff that way. I think bad stuff just sometimes luck of the draw, bad things happen. But I think our Father in Heaven is the master at using those bad things to bring us closer to Him. One of the things that I really have seen both in Mormon's writing, especially in last week's assignment that we read, where he's really going in depth about like all the different things that he and Moroni are seeing, Um, you know, especially when they get to the point where like the people are sacrificing each other and stuff like that. He gets really in depth. And it reminded me of a book I'm reading right now. It's called um, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and the Body and the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. So if you've ever been through anything traumatic, I recommend this book, The Body Keeps the Score. But in The Body Keeps the Score, one of the things they talk about is the power of written word to help survivors overcome what they've witnessed. And when they write down what they've witnessed and they put their emotions with it, They carry the burden of that trauma so much better. Um, They found that hospitalizations among those, the trauma survivors who had written down their story, were less, like I think it was like 1.7 days less a year than those who hadn't. They found that doctor's visits in general, because their immune health was so much better than those who hadn't written written down their experience, they found, you know, all kinds of stuff, blood pressure, any any measurement you could basically find where they had trauma victims either write their experience down or not write their experience down. The ones who wrote their experience and the emotions surrounding it and how it changed them were better in the long run because of that experience of writing it down. So I go back in and I look at not just Mormon and Moroni, but I look at like a scores of all these other Book of Mormon prophets that we've had that have been through really awful stuff. You know, Alma the Younger, Amulek, even going all the way back to Nephi. Nephi had to handle some serious trauma with a capital T from his brothers, you know, and he wrote it all down. And there is a healing that happens when we write it down. And then even when we share it with others, because if we can write down our stories and give it to others so that others can learn from it and they can grow from it, then it wasn't a waste is how I feel like sometimes we feel. To go along this line of thought, um, you know, I went to Book of Mormon Central this week to find all the different like articles that they'd written about these different chapters, um, because I think there's lots that we can get out of them. And they have a really great article on trauma in the Book of Mormon. And it says, how can the Book of Mormon survivors give us hope? 
And just a few quotes from the articles. Guys, I'm just going to apologize right now. This episode is going to be full of like reading different quotes. Sorry, I'm a researcher and I get to the point where I research stuff and I want to put it all together into a nice research paper for you, but podcasts are not necessarily research papers. So I have to just read you quotes, okay? So this is a quote from How Can the Book of Mormon Survivors Give Us Hope at bookofmormoncentral.com. Here we go. In a remarkable study on those who have survived terrible atrocities, Terence Deprez explained that having their story told is enormously important to people facing extinction. In the survivor's own case, it becomes a way to transcend the helplessness, which withers hope and self-respect. This certainly seems to be the case with the Book of Mormon prophets who, in the midst of tragic episodes of grief and suffering, diligently recorded their experiences for future generations. In our own day, millions suffer from having experienced or witnessed terrible things. Soldiers who experience combat often suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Countless individuals struggle with feelings of depression, loneliness, heartache, disappointment, disinterest, and a number of other personal sorrows, mental limitations, and emotional scars. Some of these feelings are due to severe chemical imbalances. Others may be caused by different circumstances outside of an individual's control, and sometimes those who suffer simply don't have good answers for why they feel so unhappy. The Book of Mormon offers a powerful message of hope to those who, for whatever reason, have cause to mourn. It shows that while suffering of its prophetic survivors was real and acute, their overwhelming sorrow was ultimately swallowed up in the joy of Christ. Okay, pause there. I want to stop. Because I hear, like, I feel sometimes like we quote stuff like that and we think, oh, they automatically went from, like, being really sad and awful all the time to, like, feeling happy and joy. And um, no, listen, because it's it's going to go on and it talks about how even though you go through hard stuff, Christ gives you hope. And that's what it means to be swallowed up in the joy of Christ. You have hope. So unpause. Back to the quote. They mourned for the pain and the suffering of their people, but they also looked towards the future with hope. They knew that by witnessing and recording these sad experiences, they could help future generations avoid unnecessary sorrows. Elder Dallin H. Oaks has taught, The Lord will not only consecrate our afflictions for our gain, but He will use them to bless the lives of countless others. In each case, the Book of Mormon's sad tales of human atrocities help us refocus our minds and hearts on Jesus Christ, whose infinite sacrifice gives meaning and purpose to our very existence. Not only did Christ experience his own excruciating trials, but through his divine power, he willingly witnessed and participated in our suffering in a way that is personal to each of us. He is the ultimate survivor witness. He descended below all things, witnessed the worth of death and of hell, and yet rose again with hope and healing in his wings. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland taught, It is only an appreciation of this divine love that will make our own lesser suffering first bearable, then understandable, and finally redemptive. And that's the transition, I think, that I see Moroni make in Mormon 8, where he starts going on and, you know, writing the stuff out, I think, for him makes it bearable. The loss of his father, the loss of his people, you know, the atrocities that he's seen— And then 
you know, I don't know that you can ever get to the point where it's understandable, you know, like the stuff that he and Mormon had to go through. I don't necessarily know that he's going to get to the understandable part, but he finally gets to the point where it's redemptive and he can see, okay, so there's not hope for this people that I'm here with now, but there's hope for a future people and I can write to them. And that's where, you know, we even get the title of this week's episode or an assignment and come follow me. I speak unto you as if you are present because he is literally saying, take all my experience, take all my stuff that I've been through, take all the redemptive power of Christ that I've applied in my own life. And let me show you how it's healed me and let it heal you. Let it heal you of like all the stuff you're going through, but then also come unto Christ and be healed in him and find the truth that's in him. Um, he talks a lot about the light and the darkness. And, you know, I, I love it when the scriptures talk about the light and the dark and the contrast between the two. So I don't know. That was just something I saw in Mer- Moroni's own like journey of healing, I guess you could say, I saw this week. But let's get back to Come Follow Me for like, 2.5 seconds, okay? And then I got another side trail we're going to go on. So the Book of Mormon is of great worth was a section in Come Follow Me this week. It says, President Russell M. Nelson asked, if you were offered diamonds or rubies or the Book of Mormon, which would you choose? Honestly, which is of greater worth to you? And like, I had to hold up for a moment because I'm like, whoa, I love sparkly things. I like really love sparkly things. But then I thought about it and I'm like, no, you know what? Um, Because yeah, I don't think a sparkly thing would change my life the same way the Book of Mormon has changed my life. Um, and I don't think it would bless my life the same way the Book of Mormon would bless my life. I know it would not bless my life the same way the Book of Mormon has blessed my life. And so I started going through and thinking about all the ways that the Book of Mormon has blessed my life and all the different things that are in my life because of it. And the one thing... It's interesting because I feel like this kind of goes along with the whole theme of trauma and Christ being with us and, you know, helping us through our trauma kind of stuff. But the one thing I feel like the Book of Mormon brings to me more than probably anything else is he brings another dimension to Christ and Christ's atonement that we don't find in the Old and New Testaments. Um it talks about, you know, in Book of Mormon, specifically Alma 7. I'm going to read it to you. Alma, Alma 7, 11 and 12. And he shall go forth, suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this that the word might be fulfilled, which saith he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. And he will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death, which bind his people. And he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. You know, nowhere in the New Testament do we get that rich depth understanding of the atonement and how Christ has such a personal knowledge of what we struggle with, of our infirmities and of our pain. You know, I believe that the rest of the Christian world believes that the cross was about sin and the cross was about death and defeating both sin and death. And it was like, yes, definitely. But, you know, sometimes I talk about puzzles and how, you know, the rest of the Christian world has, you know, a couple pieces of the puzzle The Book of Mormon then comes in and adds a few more pieces of the puzzle. And this is one of the places where it adds a very significant piece to me that brings me great personal peace, (laughs) pun intended, different kind of peace. Um, It brings very a great amount of personal peace to me in my life because I know my Savior understands what I'm going through. 
He has taken upon him our infirmities and our pains, that he will have mercy upon us. He's been where we are. He understands what we're going through. And I don't necessarily know that I get that without the Book of Mormon. So that piece in the Book of Mormon of understanding my Savior and understanding how he feels about me and the things that I'm going through, to me, is of more value than probably anything else in this world. That knowledge is incredibly, incredibly valuable. So that's probably the point of the Book of Mormon that means the most to me. Um, and so that's why I was thinking about when the Book of Mormon is great worth, when Come Follow Me asked that, that's kind of where I went. Okay, so I want to go down another side trail. <laughs> I know, guys, I'm sorry. There's so many side trails. But here's the thing. Y'all got Come Follow Me. You can go do the Come Follow Me assignments. You're going to go ahead and read the chapters anyway. Where else can you get these awesome side treks, like these awesome field trips off to left field? other than this podcast, okay? So here's another side trip off to left field. Why gold plates? Why did Mormon and Moroni write on gold plates? Well, let's look and see what they say. This is Moroni from what he, like I want to call it his angsty period. Like this is from the first part of chapter eight of Mormon chapter eight, um, verse five. Behold, my father hath made this record, and he hath written the intent thereof. And behold, I would write it also, if I had room upon the plates, but I have not, and or I have none, for I am alone. My father hath been slain in battle, and all my kinsfolk, and I have not friends nor whither to go, or how long the Lord will suffer that I may live, I know not. And then in 14 he says, And I am the same who hideth up this record unto the Lord. The plates thereof are of no worth, because of the commandment of the Lord. For he truly saith that no one shall have them to get gain, for the record thereof is of great worth, and whosoever shall bring it to light, him will the Lord bless. Okay, so there's two spots where he talks about the plates and then also hiding them up. Obviously, later on, we don't know what happened. He found some ore somewhere or something because he then goes on not only to finish out the book of like Mormon within the Book of Mormon, but he also goes on to write his own book and then also to add some stuff in ether and some some other stuff that he adds in. So obviously he found some ore at some point. So why, why plates? Why plates of ore? Why plates of metal? Why is this a big deal? Well, if we go to Book of Mormon Central again, I told you Book of Mormon Central has some like amazing stuff this week to go along with these particular chapters. They have a know why, which is one of their little articles, a know why called, are there other ancient records like the Book of Mormon? Okay. So sometimes I think people outside of our faith think, what? You guys believe like that these old prophets went and hit a bunch of like flat plates of like gold that were written on in a box inside a hill? Like, why would they do that? That makes no sense. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. No. uh Uh-huh. It does make sense because that was a historical accuracy of things that happened in the ancient world. Okay. There are other records like the Book of Mormon that have been written upon metal plates, hidden in boxes, in mountainsides. That's a thing. Okay. We just think in our modern day culture, we think it sounds a little bit weird because we don't do that now. But just because we don't do that now doesn't mean that it wasn't something that everybody didn't do back in the day. I want to read you this article from Book of Mormon Central. Here we go. For some, the story of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon has seemed too bizarre and fanciful to be believed. This was especially true at the time of its publication in 1830. People were suspicious of the claim that an ancient book written on golden plates had been revealed to a young farmer. 
It has taken nearly two centuries of archaeological discoveries to fully demonstrate that the details of the buried Nephite record fit in exceptionally well with hidden books from all over the ancient world. According to John A. Tivitnis, I don't know how to say his last name, the concept of hiding books for future generations to discover is also evident in a large number of early documents from the ancient Near East once the peoples of the Book of Mormon came. In an early Jewish text, Moses instructed Joshua on how to preserve the books or parchments he was leaving in his care. He was told to deposit them in earthen jars until the day of recompense. The Dead Sea Scrolls, some of which were found in earthen jars, the Nag Hammadi texts, and a whole other host of discovered documents confirm that many ancient records really were preserved for future generations. Now, of metallic plates, stone boxes, and sealed documents, the idea that the Book of Mormon was engraved onto golden plates and buried in a stone box, along with other sacred relics, was ridiculed by some people in the 19th century, and even today, I would add. Yet today, according to H. Curtis Wright, literally thousands of metal documents have been discovered from all over the ancient world. These include a variety of documents made from gold and gold alloys, some of which were from ancient America. The discovery of hidden ancient relics, many of them also made from precious metals, is also significant. An ancient Egyptian temple text describes how to inscribe a text on gold or silver lamella, which is a plate, and place it in a clean box. That such boxes were actually used to preserve documents and sacred relics is now widely attested throughout the ancient world. For instance, in 1854, six small inscribed plates of gold, silver, bronze, tin, lead, and one alabaster were found in a stone box buried beneath Sargon II's palace foundation. In 1933, excavation at Persepolis, two pairs of inscribed plates, one with silver and one with gold in each pair, were found in stone boxes placed in the foundation corners of the palace. And in 1965, a set of 19 inscribed gold plates were found in a bronze box. Now, what about the mountains, the caves, and the angels? Okay, Mountains often symbolize temples or holy sanctuaries. Likely in relation with this theme, the Book of Mormon reports that several sacred revelations, including the Book of Mormon itself, were received, recorded, or buried in association with mountains or hills. Historical accounts indicate that many Nephite records were preserved in a hillside cave, and the Book of Mormon itself emphasizes that it would be brought out of the earth. Joseph Smith said an angel named Moroni had responsibility for the plates and led him to their buried location on a hill near their their family's farm. Many ancient documents were also found or reportedly hidden in mountains or caves. For instance, the Cologne Manny Codex indicates that an angel brought Enosh to a mountain and instructed him to write on bronze tablets and hide his record. In Russia, 12 small gold plates were reportedly found in a hill. In the Masonic tradition, the prophet Enoch inscribed his revelation on a gold plate that he concealed in a temple he constructed inside a mountain. And in a number of ancient texts, buried or hidden records or relics were guarded by an angel or some sort of divine power. The large set of documents collectively referred to as the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in caves surrounding the Dead Sea. In ancient Mesoamerica, caves held deep mythological symbolism and were often considered to be sacred. In 2005, Holly Moyes and James Brady noted that only in the last decade have caves been widely recognized as ritual spaces by Mesoamerican archaeologists. Since caves in Mesoamerica were used almost exclusively for ritual, they provide an unrivaled context for studying pre-Columbian religion, 
such as the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon's emphasis on caves and sacred records coming forth out of the earth fits right in with these findings. The Book of Mormon is a testament of faith to the love of the Nephite prophets. The prophet Enos says he's prayed that the Lord would preserve a record of my people, the Nephites, that it might be brought forth at some future day. In response, the Lord promises to fulfill this request in his own due time. He also revealed to Enos that the, thy fathers have also required of me this thing, and it shall be done unto them according to their faith, for their faith was like unto thine. These verses show that the Book of Mormon exists today because ancient prophets were concerned for future generations whom they would never meet in mortality. They truly cared about us. In turn, we ought to deeply care about them. And only when we recognize and accept the Book of Mormon as an ancient record can we gain the fullest understanding and appreciation for its sacred messages and the prophets who wrote them. I love that last part where it talks about they truly cared about us because I feel like that fits in with the whole theme of this particular assignment where Moroni says, I'm writing as if I can see you there, as if I was present with you, even though you're not. You know, even the title of the assignment, I speak unto you as if you were present. He truly cared about us. And even though he was going through his own you know, awful parade of horribleness that was going on in his life at the time, he still cared enough about us to bear his testimony and to share his words and his, you know, the things of great worth in his life with us. And that's a beautiful thing. All of the prophets of the Book of Mormon who sat down and wrote their stories out and shared their testimonies, they truly cared about us. How cool is that? Can we just take a moment and appreciate how cool that is? Like that these ancient prophets who were so powerful and had such powerful testimonies were worried about us. That just makes me feel really loved. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's a really cool thing. Okay, so go to that article in Book of Mormon Central. Again, one more time, it is, are there other ancient records like the Book of Mormon? Um, Of course, I'll post links to all these in my blog, social media, all that stuff. But it's got even pictures of, there's like this Keith Hanam inscription written on a silver scroll in Israel. It's got pictures of ancient Roman plates for gold and silver and bronze and different things. So you can find all kinds of really cool stuff on there. I don't know. Go look it up. I thought it was interesting. Okay. Going along with the whole thing about the Book of Mormon prophets seeing our day and writing for us um, is come follow me section that says the Book of Mormon was written for our day. Jesus Christ showed Moroni what would be happening when the Book of Mormon came forth. And what Moroni saw led him to give bold warnings for our day. As you read Mormon 8, 26 through 41 and 9, 1 through 30, ponder whether there are any signs of these attitudes and actions in your life and what could you do differently? Okay, when I went in and read it, the scriptures that really stuck out to me were stuck out, stuck out. The scriptures that really stuck out to me were 36 and 37, I think, in Mormon 8. It says, And I know that you do walk in the pride of your hearts, and there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts unto the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envying and strifes and malice and persecutions and all manner of iniquities. And your churches, yea, every one, have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. For behold, you do love money and your substance and your fine apparel and the adorning of your churches more than you love the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted. 
Okay, so where that kind of like hit me in the heart of like, oh, Lexi, guilty, so guilty, is that, okay, so I have a shopping problem. <laughs> like this is probably not a surprise to anyone because um, I'm such a mess, but I really do love to shop. And it's not necessarily for like designer clothes. Like I don't spend a terrible amount of money on my clothes. Um, You know, I'm a huge fan of like Marshalls and Ross and TJ Maxx. Like that's pretty much where I hit it up. I just like to have like lots of them. You know, I say this sitting in a closet recording this podcast that's like full of my clothes. And again, they aren't expensive. Like I have a hard time spending over 30 bucks for a shirt, but still there's a lot of inexpensive shirts in here. Um, And I think it comes from a place not necessarily of myself feeling like better than other people, but more of like an artistic thing. Like I like colors and I like bright patterns and I don't like wearing the same thing every day. So I want to change it up and make it different. And um, so I think it comes from a place like that. But I find myself, if I'm not careful, turning it into a worldly thing where I'm focusing too much on like what I'm wearing that week or, hey, look at this new shirt. I can't wait to wear it here. And, oh, I need to dress up for church. So I'm going to wear this perfect outfit. It's going to be amazing. And less upon what I'm going to do when I get to church. You know, that was, of course, back in the olden days before we had COVID-19 that 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 happened. But, you know, you get get my drift. Like I'm worrying more about like the clothing part of it than I am like the actual substance of whatever is going on. And I feel like that's kind of a metaphor for sometimes my life where I worry so much about like the covering part of things that I don't worry about the core of what's going on. And that's what made me stop and think. I'm like, how many times am I like, wallpapering over imperfections or trying to cover stuff up that I really need to attend to or mistakes that I've made that I need to repent of, you know, instead of paying attention to that, I'm trying to pay attention to this like surface stuff. Does that make sense? That's kind of like the thought that I had with my heavenly father this week was um, stop looking at the surface level stuff and look a little bit deeper. You know, this is what Murrow and I is kind of calling us out on being lifted up in the pride of our hearts because we're paying attention to surface stuff and not the deep stuff that causes true change and causes change in behavior. And that's kind of where I felt myself called out on, I guess, <laughs> this week. So I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Um, I did go shopping yesterday, so I can't say that <laughs> it's really taken, I guess. I don't know. Yes, I'm working on it. I, I can tell you that. Okay. I guess acknowledging that you have a problem is the first step, right? We'll we'll go with that. Okay. So I want to leave you guys with some of my favorite Moroni moments. I love, you know, I love Moroni's writing so much. So can I, can I just leave you with some of my favorites? Okay. This comes from Mormon 9. We're going to start Mormon 9, 11. But behold, I will show unto you a God of miracles, even the God of Abraham and of Isaac and the God of Jacob. It is the same God who created the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. Behold, he created Adam, and by Adam came the fall of man. And because of the fall of man came Jesus Christ, even the Father and the Son. Because of Jesus Christ came the redemption of man. And because of the redemption of man, which came by Jesus Christ, they are brought back into the presence of the Lord. Yea, this is wherein all men are redeemed, because the death of Christ bringeth to pass the resurrection, which bringeth to pass a redemption from an endless sleep, from which sleep all men shall be awakened by the power of God when the trump shall sound, and they shall come forth both small and great, and all shall stand before his bar, being redeemed, and loose from this eternal band of death, which death is a temporal death. 
I'm going to skip down to 15. Oh, now, oh, all ye that have imagined up unto yourselves a God who can do no miracles. I would ask of you, have all these things passed of which I have spoken? Has the end come yet? Behold, I say unto you, nay, and God has not ceased to be a God of miracles. Behold, are not the things that God hath wrought marvelous in our eyes? Yea, and who can comprehend the marvelous works of God? Who shall say that it is not a miracle that by his word the heaven and the earth should be? And by the power of his word man was created of the dust of the earth, and by the power of his word miracles have been wrought. And who shall say that Jesus Christ did not do many mighty miracles? For there were many mighty miracles wrought by the hands of the apostles. And there were miracles wrought then. Why has God ceased to be a God of miracles and yet being an unchangeable being? And behold, I say unto you, he changeth not. If so, he would cease to be God. And if he ceases to be God, he is a God of miracles. And he ceaseth not to be God and is a God of miracles. And the reason why he ceaseth to do miracles among the children of men is because they dwindle in unbelief and depart from the right way and know not the God in whom they should trust. Behold, I say unto you that whoso believeth in Christ, doubting nothing, whatsoever he shall ask the Father in the name of Christ, it shall be granted him. And this promise is unto all, even unto the ends of the earth. I'm going to skip now to 26. And now behold, who can stand against the works of the Lord? Who can deny his sayings? Who will rise up against the almighty power of the Lord? Who will despise the works of the Lord? Who will despise the children of Christ? Behold, all ye who are despisers of the works of the Lord, for ye shall wonder and perish. Oh, then despise not and wonder not, but hearken unto the words of the Lord. And ask the Father in the name of Jesus for what things whatsoever ye shall stand in need. Doubt not, but be believing. And begin in times of old, and come unto the Lord with all your heart, and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before him. Be wise in the days of your probation. Strip yourselves of all uncleanliness. Ask not that ye may consume it on your lust, but ask with a firmness unshaken, that you will yield to no temptation, but that you will serve the true and living God. And then 30, Behold, I speak unto you as though I spake from the dead, for I know that ye shall have my words. How powerful is that? That is so powerful to me, that faith that he had in Christ and just the amazement that he had in Christ and Christ's works and the goodness of God and just the miracles of God. Like, For someone to have been in that awful situation that he was in, did he see miracles? Did he see many miracles? I don't know that Moroni would have seen many miracles. Um, Being in an awful society that was full of so much unbelief that I don't know that there would have been many miracles being done. He might have seen some miracles in his own life. You know, maybe he saw some miracles in his own life, but I don't think he would have seen miracles in the society and the company that he was keeping, even though I think he was by himself probably. But He believed in the miracles of the past, of the mighty things that Christ had done, and and the change that Christ can make in our own hearts. So listen to Moroni. Listen to him speak to you as if he was present, even though he is not. And take his words to heart, because they're beautiful. I'll leave that with y'all. I hope you have a good week. I love you guys. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions 
and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.